With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, White Sox fans. It's Brett Ballantini here, rolling out another new podcast for you here on Southside Sox. This one we're calling, at least for now, we're calling it Dugout Metrics. And uh, I'll let you in on what the hook is there. Uh, we've got our two ace analytical writers. We've had a, a, a number of good analytical writers over the years with Southside Sox and Southside Hit Pen. But right now, these two guys, Trevor Lyons and Luke Smales, are just nailing it for us. And I figured, you know what? Maybe we get together, we have a little chat, and it's not necessarily going to always get really deep into the weeds of, of, of metrics and so forth, but it's going to hopefully bring in something where, you know, somebody like me who just, you know, grunts and yells and wildly gesticulates about players. And maybe these guys are going to bring maybe a little bit more of an intellectual edge to things. So with that said, I'm going to let both of these guys sort of give a little intro in terms of how they got into metrics, how they got into baseball. Both of these guys are active or recently retired baseball players. And I guess into the White Sox in general. Trevor Lyons, let's start off with you. Yeah, so thanks for that intro, Brett. Um, yeah, I had been on once before a while back, um, but basically I've been growing up around the game of baseball ever since I was little. My dad played in college, and he was always my coach growing up, growing up on the about an hour south of Chicago in Morris, Illinois. And... Um, Always loved the game ever since I was ever since I can remember. Um, 2005 was kind of the years that I was really starting to understand what was going on with baseball and uh, really be able to appreciate that run um, with the White Sox. And then just growing up, I ended up playing throughout high school, playing throughout college at Bellarmine University in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, middle infielder, mostly second base, a little bit of shortstop. And uh, as far as the analytics side of things go, just having that experience playing at a high level um, combined with just the, I'm naturally more of an analytical person. I like to get, as Brett would say, into the weeds a little bit with some of the data. Um, So maybe not 
quite to the extent that Luke has as far as the analytical background. Um, but that's definitely something that I appreciate. Um, and so I think that I can bring a good mix of the knowledge of the analytics and that type of background, as well as the personal playing experience to understand that sometimes analytics can only go so far and there's that hum- human element to the game as well. In case anybody wants to uh, question Trevor's propers here, it was reminded before we came on air that when Trevor was playing as university, it was a D2 school. Now it's D1. This man helped drag them up to D1 ball. All right. As you, uh, as you teased, Luke Schmales is our other, uh, the other end. He's sitting on the other end of dugout metrics. So mm-hmm. take it away, Luke. Uh, catch us up on where you're at as we move to the outfield. Yeah, so uh, we got the infield covered, and now I'll uh, I'll pick up the outfield. But yeah, kind of uh, my kind of upbringing in baseball is a lot how Trevor described it. Um, kind of you know played all through growing up, little league, high school. Um, I really like the whole you know building the team uh, aspect of the game, and I do it a lot on like you know playing MLB the show. I like to build build the teams and kind of play out the different scenarios with uh, with different. Um, you know, kind of different directions for each team. So that's something I liked. And then I guess as I got into college and um, had the opportunity to learn more, kind of develop a little bit of a data science background and um, studying economics and stuff, I was able to translate some of that stuff to um, how I analyze baseball, something kind of always done. So some of the methods I've picked up have just kind of been from, you know, reading different people and um, learning how they um, conducted their, um, you know, their studies and stuff. And, one of the cool things that we've been able to do at Co um, is take some of the methods that major league teams are doing, figure out how they translate to a smaller scale like Division Three baseball in college, and kind of um, you know take those results or take those methods and, and make them work for us, just as so they've worked for many teams in, in major league baseball. So uh, we're we're pretty excited about that and excited to um, you know have that keep rolling and, and see if we can translate it more into wins as we've already have. All right, Southside Sox, these are the minds. These are the minds that are driving our analytical writing. So just strap it in. We're going to have a little chat. It's winter meeting, so we might not get, you know, too deep into it, but who knows? These guys are going to pull something out, spin rate, whatnot. I'm going to just nod. I'm going to try to look like uh, I'm following along. So let's jump right into winter meetings. Obviously, two major moves for the White Sox. I guess let's start with the one that has been received more warmly, and that is dealing Dane Dunning and all of his potential career down to uh, Texas in exchange for Lance Lynn and the throw-in, of course, which may not turn out to be just a throw-in, being Avery Weems. Uh, again, the, the, the receipt of this trade has been, I think, largely positive. Uh, initially, I was a little nervous and agitated about it. I think I've come to terms with the fact that uh, it's a smart win-now move, but uh, either one of you jump in and, uh, and tell me why it it is a good move or maybe things that you might see that were you in, in trading away day done. Um, sure. Yeah, I can jump in. Um, I, yeah, I love this move as soon as I saw it. Uh, Lance Lynn obviously was someone that was talked about uh, a lot at last year's trade deadline. So that was the only thing that I was, um, you know, worried about or skeptical about is, Man, if we were going to make this move, it would have been really nice to have him for that game three last year. But I do understand that obviously the price was a, a little bit lower now. Um, and 
giving up Dunning obviously is something that is going to come with a moving from that rebuilding stage into more of a win now stage. You're going to have to give up some of your prospects that you've been tracking, you've been following all the way up through the system. And we got a little taste of him last year and it was definitely promising, but as far as the White Sox prospects go, I would say he's more of a safer prospect, more of a um, a high floor, maybe not quite as high of a ceiling guy. Um, you know he's going to be uh, a potential number four, maybe a number three ceiling guy that can eat innings for you, but may not have that top, top of the rotation stuff like some of their other prospects. Um, so, yeah, as far as if we were going to have to deal someone, that would be someone that I would be more willing to part with. Um, especially I saw, um, I forget who it was, but I saw on Twitter uh, a good point that was made about if there is that expanded playoffs, not just for the 2020 season, those middle of the rotation guys or back end of the rotation guys that eat innings are not going to be necessarily as important to make it through that season um, the grind of 162 games and having to fight for those limited playoff spots. If, if with that expanded playoff field, the back end guys maybe don't take on that sense of urgency versus the maybe number three that you're going to need to really get through a playoff run. Um, so I know I've talked a lot about Dane Dunning there and not quite as much about the guy that we actually have now, Lance Lynn. Um, but he's been a consistent top end arm for the past three, four years, definitely kind of a late bloomer. And so I think that some people undervalue him because of that. Um, but he's a consistent guy that's going to be able to take the ball and give you all-star caliber pitching. Um, so with the White Sox needing that starting pitching going into the off season, starting pitching was the one thing that I had as the number one priority. I know a lot of people don't like the off the field stuff with Bauer. Um, and I would have loved to have potentially gotten Stroman, but he was off the market quick. So there's not very many high end options in that starting pitching market. And the White Sox were able to secure one of those guys. So I was very happy with that. Sorry Luke, for the rambling answer. No, not at all. Luke, um, <laughs> you may have some, some numbers or ideas that throw me off here. But Dane Dunning was the one guy last year with the White Sox who showed well. Something was thrown at him, and he managed to essentially stick in the rotation. Um, is You think it's a matter – him going to Texas, you think it's a matter more of what he did show and him being attracted to Texas or uh, privately the White Sox being more comfortable holding on to the, the Dylan Ceases or who knows, maybe even the Ronaldo Lopez's with the new pitching coach coming in, Ethan Katz. Uh, you think, or you think it's both that the White Sox were willing to part with them and Texas was sort of jazzed about Dunning? Um, I think Texas likes Dunning because I think they're at a point where their rebuild is really, there's no light at the end of the tunnel for them. They're kind of in a really weird spot and Dunning kind of provides like a safer prospect, I would say even more so than, than Kopech or Cease. But with your Texas, you're not for one year of, of uh, Lance Lynn, you're not getting, Kopech or Cease at this point. And I think that had to be what they were asking for back in, in August. Um, one of those two guys. Um, I think with Dunning, like, uh, like Trevor said, I think he has a pretty high floor, but I just don't think the ceilings there to where the Sox, um, 
can wait really on him any longer. And I think in, um, in, you know, Sarah's podcast um, and Derek, Derek Van Riper um, rates and barrels, they kind of talked about Dunning as going into 2021 people forget he was coming off Tommy John surgery this past year and kind of had to get ramped up um, fairly quickly, but they didn't think that Dunning would be ready for 160, 180 inning workload in 2021. It'd be more like hundred to 120 that you may have to be more cautious with him. And I think um, Texas can afford to do that. And I don't think that's something the White Sox were, would be too thrilled about. Um, but, you know, Dunning, um, I, I tweeted out the other day that Dunning, I think, looked a lot better maybe than the stuff that he showed. I think by expected run value, he was only in like the 12th percentile when you take in, into consideration his entire arsenal. Um, Lynn was in the 67th percentile. So I think also what helped Dunning was was pitching against, I think, <laughs> half of more than half the starts was like Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Detroit. Um, and then I think he got roughed up maybe by either Cleveland or Minnesota a little bit, not too bad, but he was just kind of thrown into the fire. I mean, he had to be the number three starter right away. And I think he did a good job and he's seems like a really good guy. That's what a lot of people have said. So um, you wish him the best, but, you know, getting a landslide on a one-year contract that shows, you know, what, what does that tell us fans? It tells us that, you know, 2021, the front office, the White Sox, they view 2021 is as good of season as any to go out and win it. And Lance Lynn is the definition of dependability. He's been, I think eighth highest F4 of any starting pitcher in the last three years. I mean, he's a, he's a great number two or number three, however you want to divvy up him and Keiko. But yeah, I think like Trevor, I think I really liked it right off the bat and it's tough to lose Dunning just from that depth standpoint, but um, I think it made sense for both sides and I think it's going to end up being a good move. Well, something you said there was a good lead into a question I'll throw at you guys. And that is something that's contingent in making this trade, let's say a win for the White Sox. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any way we can look at it as a no lose. It's not possible to lose this trade. And it's not, I know all about winning trades, but you want to win pennants, you want to win world series, you got to win some trades. Uh, something that I guess is in the air that is, you know, obviously uh, right now, Lance Lynn's a, a rental. Um, providing uh, he would be open to, providing he even likes, he wants to be in Chicago, it sounds like he does, providing he even wants to be here and is willing to forego free agency and take on an extension. What sort of numbers and what sort of duration are we comfortable with? Is it, is it a couple of years at, uh, could we get away with just uh, two and 20? Is it going to have to go up? How high would we go up to feel comfortable in sort of securing this maybe even more as a potential win, given the fact that he's been so good over the last two, three years? I don't know if I'd go more one, than call you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go more than an extra year, maybe an extra two years, yeah. but I think um a good point again, I'll go back to you know, Sarah's a good point that he made is what Lynn does is Lynn gives you that three dependable pitchers and then in your four and five spots it allows you to look at Kopech and look at Cease and say, Okay, you know, we we don't, you know, we're not leaning on you guys as much as we would if we didn't have Lynn. So you guys are going to be at the bottom of the rotation and you're going to have the opportunity to break out and become, you know, really good top of the rotation guys. Maybe that doesn't happen right away, but you're going to have an opportunity to show that. Maybe Kopech comes up and he's a stud right away and he's good enough to be a number two or three. Um, I think if you, you don't want to put yourself in a financial hole to where we know that the contracts of, you know, Mancata, Robert, Jimenez, um, those guys are all going to get more expensive. So you don't want to kind of limit yourself and spending money on a, on a guy that'll be 
35, 36 after this year. Um, you know, Lynn has stayed healthy, so maybe you feel comfortable there. But I, I wouldn't – I'd kind of let the chips fall and see what how guys like Kopech and Cease pitch in 2021 and then, you know, reenter the market next offseason or, you know, if they have to enter the trade market for a starting pitcher um, this July. I kind of let the let the chips fall where they may, and kind of reevaluate when we, once we get to next off season. Oh man, Luke, you're a gambler. I'm like, man, I got the guy now. I want him for yeah. eight more years. Okay, yeah. And and this is gonna veer a little bit from what we outlined talking about, but let's then let's then take a look looking at because something you said, Luke, uh, piques my interest here because you're going in thinking now we've got our three, and it's a it's a it's a very strong core three. You arguably, can put it up almost really against anybody. Um, are you guys comfortable then having four and five be, let's just say what it is. Cause even if Dunning was still with us, uh, uh, those are question marks. So are you guys comfortable then with a four and five, uh, really being question marks, which again was a problem we had last year. Cause Dunning, you might give him a half. We had about two and a half starters last year. Is that going to lead to uh, uh, trouble for us? Or do we really need to bring in some other veteran just to throw against a wall? I would say um, one thing that Luke mentioned in his last answer was that both of these deals for these, these two breaking free agents that we got were one year deals. So as he kind of mentioned, it is somewhat like kicking the can down the road a little bit and maybe giving yourself that one year to see what you have both in Adam Eaton, as well as Lance Lynn in the Lance Lynn aspect of it, we have those top end guys that we think can potentially turn into um, top end of the rotation arms, depending on what Dylan Cease is able to do. Um, and then obviously we know what Kopech has as far as potential goes, but it does buy you that extra year to see what you have. I definitely do think though that they need to add some depth arms as far as starting pitching goes. We saw what happened, as you mentioned, last year. Uh, you can never have too much starting pitching. So I know a name that's been brought up a lot. Um, maybe we get another reunion on top of Adam Eaton with uh, Jose Quintana. But I think that the White Sox fan base might be a little bit more excited about that one than the Eaton one. But um, mm-hmm. it does seem to buy you a year uh, to see what you have in these guys. Um, but it'll definitely be important to keep adding and maybe get some depth pieces in case of injury. Obviously, pitching leads to a lot of injuries, and so you can never have too much starting pitching. Luke, you mentioned earlier today when we were talking about the show, uh, you'd seen, you know, Sarah's had connected perhaps Marcelo Zuna to the White Sox, or maybe it was just his uh, prediction, whatever it was, mm-hmm. you know, at four years, 80 million. At this point, given what we've just sort of been talking about now, because if Jose Quintana came, uh, you know, it'd be great. I, you know, I'd be excited. I think that's a nice move. But I mean, what, you're going to want to get away with maybe only giving him a couple of years if you even have to do that, maybe let's say, you know, is the trend here based on what I'm hearing from you guys at this point, given that there still is some talent in the pipeline to keep these contracts short, should the White Sox even be talking unless I guess it is a, a Bauer or a Springer, should they be talking anything more in a couple of years for anybody who's remaining? Yeah, I don't, I don't think Azuna on four for 80, that's a little, that's a little rich for me. I think, um, you know, there were talks about him getting that kind of deal last year. He wasn't obviously coming off a, a strong as of an offensive season as he was this year. Um, 
he'd be a great addition. He is another right-handed bat, and you slide him in there, and he's um, he's probably he's not a great he's not a great outfielder. Maybe an, an up slight upgrade from Aloy Jimenez in left field. So um, you know maybe you could slide him in there, but yeah, for a predominantly a DH four for eighty is just a little a little much. If I'm going to add a bat, I think. Um, Brantley, I think, falls in that kind of maybe two-year. If you can get him on a two-year deal, it's not going to be a $20 million um, AV. So I think that's a little rich. I mean, he would be an impact bat, but I think um, I'd pump the brakes. I'd see if his market kind of falls back into that, you know, maybe it goes down to three years and two years, and then maybe he's thinking, okay, this isn't a great market. Let's. I bet on myself last year and it worked out. Let's see if I can do it again. Um, so maybe like one year and an option would be would be great. I think if you're adding a, you know, a predominantly DH uh, poor outfielder, um, ho- hopefully just one or two years. One of those one of those Adam Eaton deals. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Template. Uh, hey, listen, we're gonna jump into the other acquisition. We've teased that we're gonna jump into the other acquisition, but we're gonna quickly take a break here on the podcast. If you're watching us on Southside Sox, you're going to just see us uh, pause for just a second. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. Hey, now we are back. I'm Brett Ballantini. I'm lucky enough to host the first edition of our newest podcast, and that's Dugout Metrics. I'm here with Luke Smales and Trevor Lyons, and we're talking more or less, mostly this time around, all winter meetings. And the guys have sort of teased the other acquisition the White Sox made in the first half of the podcast. So let's dig into it a little bit more. I'm going to need, it might take the strength of both of you to talk me on, off the ledge on this one. Uh, is it wrong for a fan, a regular old Joe fan like me to be annoyed, to be irritated, to be concerned at a number of the aspects of this Adam Eaton deal? First of all, the fact that it's Adam Eaton, personality, etc. Second of all, it's a move they seemingly were itching to make because they jumped right on it. Uh, when there, I think we don't have to argue that there are better options on the table. Uh, it, and, and for those, and I've seen a lot in Southside Sox comments, I've seen a few people saying, hey, what are you making a big deal about this? Why are people agitated? The Sox are great. They're, they're, they're trending in the right way. Uh, does this really matter? You know, it's just, it's Adam Eaton. It's maybe our platoon right fielder. But don't we, as we're filling out the roster, say we've got the, the 1 through 15 real solid, aren't those last pieces, I mean, they're getting pretty crucial. And I know uh, in rebuilding time when we're wondering whether or not we're going to lose 100 games, yeah, who, who cares? You know, um, I could go out in right field. Who cares? It'll get us closer to 100 uh, uh, losses and a higher draft pick. Terrific. But we're not in that situation now. Uh, I think micromanaging and really putting a spotlight on every single move made, I, you know, I think is warranted. Now, both of you guys indicated you're at least somewhat okay. It doesn't really bug you too much on the deal. So yeah, tell me why. Um, I think, uh, I think Eaton, 
I think the theme with the Eaton and, and the Lynn acquisition is like is safety. I think they they view this as safety. I think they think Lynn is is going to be a little bit more than a league average player. At least they hope he should be a, a very quality starting pitcher. But Eaton, I think at worst they think they're getting a league average hitter and a league average defensive outfielder. Um, you know, he last year he had a, a you know perfectly league average 100 weighted runs created plus against right uh, against right handed pitchers. Um, it's kind of the move reminds me of the Mazzara move from last year, right? You have other guys on the table that are still available, but you go out and trade for Mazzara last year when you had Castellanos and Azuna still out there. And people are like, why are you doing this now? There are the rumors that the Marlins were after Mazzara. And man, I wish they would have called the Rangers like maybe one day before <laughs> Sox did. But um, anyway, um, I think, I think people are agitated with the Eaton signing because I think they, you know, and this is natural do they view it as, okay, if we started the season tomorrow, it's like we have Eaton and this is our going to be our big offensive addition to this lineup. And I think, I think Han has kind of, you know, hinted at, we're still looking to add. I know people, people think that Vaughn's going to be penciled into that DH role. I don't think that's actually going to be true. I think they're going to be more patient with him than we think. So I think there is another bat coming. I think that, um, I just think Eaton, they, yeah, they viewed him as, as a safe, a relatively safe move. And I think they wanted to just get that out of the way and then move on to, to bigger things, whether that's another starter. Um, maybe it's the best closer on the market, whether that's a, a DH, whether it's like Brantley or Azuna or, or, you know, who it may be. But I think they've shown this now two years in a row where they have their guy in mind and they're going to go and get him and they're not going to wait around. And maybe they thought, you know, this seven, what is seven and a half, eight million dollars is, is um you know right where right where they thought Eaton's value was and of course we don't know what their max budget is going to be we don't know how high they're going to run the payroll so we don't really know how much kind of left is is in uh how much left is in Rickon's pocket from from Jerry so um it is confusing it was kind of weird to to hear right off the bat but then um yeah I think I don't I don't think we need to freak out about it too much I think Eaton can be a guy that at the bottom of the lineup He's not going to strike out. We have a lot of guys that like are free swingers that like to swing the bat. And I think him and Madrigal at the bottom of the lineup, hopefully they're eight, nine. Um, I think, you know, grinding out at bats, make it hard on pitchers, driving pitch counts up. I think there is some value into that. Um, so yeah, Eaton's not the perfect player, but I think he could be, I think he could be a solid, you know, complimentary piece on a, on a winning team. Is there a concern, Trevor, uh, and both of you guys, obviously you've, you've, you've played, Luke, you're, you're still playing in the locker room. I understand some major leagues is something different, but we're talking about bringing in a guy in Adam Eaton who was safe to say a very disruptive presence or it became a disruptive presence in the locker room. Not because, uh, you know, well, obviously – Drake LaRoche as a leader, siding with a very – just taking a very peculiar direction and turn with that whole controversy. Uh, it's four years on. He's got a World Series ring. Uh, the fact that he sort of left this trail behind in Chicago, is it a concern to you? It doesn't seem to be to the White Sox because Han is lauding his grit and maybe even his leadership. I don't, I don't remember the exact quote. It do, obviously, isn't a concern to the White Sox. They snapped him up not on April 1st, but on close to December 1st. So, you know, Trevor, Luke, is, is it a concern 
that it's Adam Eaton. I think that for the fan base, I think that definitely has played a huge part into the fan base's reaction. Um, I just want to give an example here. So if this move would have been, you know, last week and the White Sox announced, hey, we just, I'm not even sure if he's a free agent, but hey, we just signed Corey Dickerson to this deal. Um, I think that the reaction from the fan base would have been a million times different. But because of our past history with Adam Eaton, um, everything that happened in that toxic clubhouse in 2016, like you mentioned, it was completely differently received. And based on their stat cast profiles, Corey Dickerson, Adam Eaton are the most comparable players. Um, that, 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 that is the Adam Eaton comp, according to their stat cast batted ball profile. And I think that that two, 2016 clubhouse was just so toxic. And he said that he's matured from then. I played on teams with guys that at the start of the season, you know, didn't get along. There's been, there's definitely been some tension in some locker rooms that I've been in, but I think winning solves a lot of that. I think that winning together brings teams together and a lot of turmoil within teams, within relationships can be solved by winning. So if the Sox are able to bring that, um, like you saw in the Nationals, he seemed like he was a loved figure in that clubhouse um, and seemed like they got along very well, won a lot of games and made it work. So he says he's matured. That's one aspect of it. Winning can solve some difficulties with personalities. That's another aspect of it. Um, he's always been a slow starter, self-admittedly. So a 60-game season wasn't perfect for him. As far as getting off to a, a, a hot start, that's not something that he typically does. And so his stats last year, maybe more than some others, can really be kind of thrown out the window. Um, like Luke said, he's not anything special, but it's a one-year deal. I think another reason why Sox fans are not happy about this deal is because our history with a lot of these one-year deals, you know, you got Mazzara last year on a one-year deal and obviously that didn't work out. I'll be the first to admit, I liked the move. I liked platooning Mazzara and Engel. I would have been fine if they did that again this year. I think that um, Mazzara obviously had a down year, but I think he's, he's better than that. I don't think he's anything great, but I think he's better than that. And I think a platoon, system with Eaton and Engel um, can definitely be productive. Um, it's just a matter of the expectations that Sox had, our past history with Adam Eaton, our past history with one-year deals um, for a lot of these guys. And, you know, imagine if the Sox chose right and had the one-year deal with Ozuna last year rather than Mazzara. I think the way that we look at some of these one-year kick-it-down-the-road deals might be a little bit different. Hey, Luke, I'm going to double down on this point because we're talking about bringing an Adam Eaton into the clubhouse. And again, draw on your experience as well because you're in it now. Uh, a, a guy who, at least in the past, four years is, is maybe a long time. Maybe it's long enough to burn off some of that youthful uh, clownery. I don't know. But let's couple that with the fact that we've taken a guy who admittedly his strongest point, I don't think anybody would argue, Ricky Renneria's strongest point was clubhouse chemistry was 
keeping the clubhouse together, was supporting his team. You've replaced him now with Tony LaRusso, who isn't necessarily going to be the antithesis of that, but he's certainly going to do less ass padding, it seems. He's going to do less maybe relating. I don't think he's going to, not just because he's older, I don't think he's going to consider the players, his kids, the way Ricky Renneria did. And I'm not saying that Renneria's approach is great. And man, that could be a con too. You might be able to see through, through that and say, oh man, I don't need that either. But these are two, bringing Lance Lynn seems to be a, a good leadership move. It seems a good chemistry move. We've got two other significant pieces added uh, that could really disrupt the cohesiveness of this team. Is that overblown or are, or are we, or maybe even the White Sox, are they assuming almost nothing could be done to rock this boat because this team is on an upswing and, and nothing, nothing like chemistry could possibly uh, uh, dissuade the White Sox from being a, a, an upper echelon team. You know, I think the thing with Eaton, if I, you know, if what I'm hearing is true is that he was really, he liked to hold guys accountable almost to a fault. You know, if you weren't, you know, if you weren't performing well and you weren't coming in for early work and you weren't, um, you didn't have that maybe same desire to win that he thought you should have. And whether that's his place or not is, you know, that's a, that's a different discussion, but I think maybe with Eaton now, you know, he's 32 He's on a one-year contract. He'll probably play on one-year contracts the rest of his career, I would think. Maybe he starts to think, you know, if I, if my reputation gets worse, maybe, and maybe even outside Chicago, like I don't, you know, you know, I want to keep. He probably wants to keep playing as long as he can. So at a certain point, you kind of gotta realize, okay, I want to be a leader. I want to be a veteran in this clubhouse. I don't want to come off, you know as a total jerk to, especially to some of these young guys, we want to make everything, want to make this work. We want to make it a good environment. Um, so yeah, there's definitely those guys and I'm sure Trevor can relate to this too, that kind of just take it a little bit overboard on the, on the leadership as they see themselves as a leader. But you know, now Eaton is in a different role with the White Sox. Now he's not their leadoff hitter. He's not their, um, you know, you could argue he was, he was probably one of the best hitters back when they had him um, in his last stint with the team. And now he's, maybe he's the worst hitter in their lineup going into to 2020 um, or 2021, excuse me. Um, so I think he's kind of got to realize and take that step back. That he's probably not that all-star caliber player any longer. And, and um, you know, be there for the younger guys, you know, you've won a world series. They added Keuchel who did it on the pitching end. Now you're, you're the hitter that's done it. Abreu just won an MVP. Um, you know, you have young potential superstars in Jimenez, Robert Mankata. Anderson's a batting, batting title champion. You know, you know, know your role on the team and don't step on any feet. And um, with stuff off the field, don't don't hurt stuff with don't hurt more than you help. Is essentially how he, I think he should he should take it. And um, I know he's got a, a pretty uh, eccentric personality when it comes to, to stuff, but um, I think if he wants to win, and, I, and it seems like he does, um, you know, he just needs to. Um, yeah, just not go overboard. Don't be that guy, you know? <laughs> Hopefully not easier said than done. Hopefully it is something yeah. you can do. All right. Mm-hmm. Before we get to where we're at, and, and not just where we're at, but where we're going uh, coming out of the winter meetings, um, I want to sort of hit on this once more and go back to Renneria and, and, and study this seg with you guys. Based on the moves that have been made, uh, we still don't really know why Ricky Renneria was fired. There's a lot of speculation. I wrote an article on Southside Sox that sort of asked people to speculate and even sort of vote for the reason because it's, it's, it's not clear and nobody's got the inside story. The fact 
that the White Sox have brought in Tony La Russa's manager, which you can argue, oh, that's just a buddy-buddy deal. But, you know, he's got a certain reputation, you know, good, bad, otherwise. And then making, let's arg- say, arguably your free agent target, Adam Eaton, the guy you bring in right away, who does have, as you said, Luke, this, this uh, take guys to task, maybe to a fault, reputation. Is that an indication that the reason Ricky Renneria isn't the manager of this team is that that clubhouse actually was a little too soft and there wasn't the accountability, especially when you couple with the fact that, as far as we know, Dallas Keuchel was the reason this team tightened up and made the playoff and first place push last year. What's your read on, A, whether Renneria is gone because things were too soft, or maybe just what do you think the reason was? Well, I think you uh, you touched on Keiko. I think on White Sox Talk podcast, he said that he had to do a lot of teaching. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but Tim Anderson replied to that. Um, I think it was on Instagram, replied to that post with kind of the laughing eye emojis saying like, oh, yeah, Dallas, you did a lot of teaching in the clubhouse. Um, so I don't know how that came off. And there's another little little headline for the team. But, um, yeah, I but I think there I think there's some truth to that, I think. You know, Renneria was a part of some really bad teams, and um, he saw a lot of these guys kind of develop, you know, coming from the minor leagues. And maybe he was a little too buddy-buddy with them and and not holding guys accountable. I think we've kind of maybe not heard that directly, but we've kind of gotten some hints at that. Um, and the whole, you know, the whole thing with Rick, with Renneria's firing was just kind of weird how Han put it. Um, you know, he's saying it was always part of the plan. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's weird. Um, so – it's kind of hard to it's it's kind of hard to know you know what they had talked about previous to, to him being let go, but um, that was certainly weird. Um, Trevor, I think you probably agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, if you re- if you read between the lines, I have no insight into any inside information or anything like that. But from the outside looking in, and from what you heard after Renteria was fired. Um, when Rick Hahn was speaking to the media, it seemed like they were setting everything up for a analytically based manager that had been there before. Um, it seems like, see, seemed like all signs were pointing to an AJ Hinch or something along those lines. And I'm sure all the speculation has been that Reinsdorf kind of went over his head and said, no, we're, we're going to go with my buddy. So from the outside looking in, that's my theory. I, I don't have any insight into that. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely was a, a very weird situation. Um, you are bringing in two more abrasive personalities, bigger personalities to maybe try and light a fire under some of these guys, but it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the White Sox dysfunctional baseball organization if we weren't having to look into the player's Twitter likes, their uh, Instagram comments to try and figure out what's going on. There's always some sort of drama that we're having to dig into. Um, It it wouldn't be a a White Sox organization if we didn't have to deal with that. But one thing that I did see is that on that Instagram comment, Keiko liked the comment. So if you're reading anything (laughs) into that, I don't know what that means, but maybe that's a good sign that they're still on good terms. I don't know. And and the easiest source to find all this out would be going to Ricky himself. He wouldn't have to be hostile and talk about it. He could say, hey, this is what Hans talked about. This is what we chatted about. But here's the problem. He got extended to 2030 or whatever that mystery extension was. 
he wants to get paid, he's probably going to keep it pretty down low for a number for as long. Will no one his con will no one his contract extension ends? Perhaps when he talks again, because I guess we're not going to hear anything as long as he wants to still cat uh, keep cashing Jerry Reinsdorf's paychecks. Uh, looking ahead, guys. Uh, let's not just cast it out vaguely. Let's play off of something else Han has said in response to the catching situation. James McCann seems like he's gone. The rumor seems to be maybe four and 40 to the, to the Mets, uh, which is you know great for him getting paid, I suppose. But that leaves us with three uh, high-level catchers, all of whom have some serious flaws. Han says he's comfortable with one, if not all of those guys. And of course, that's probably a good poker face comment. But are you, I've, I've, one of these guys, is this Zach? I don't know. One of these guys nice. is on my shirt, so I'm representing, but, yep. and, I, and I know that there's a lot of, hey, let's give Zach Collins a shot sentiment. But going to, I die on that hill, Brett. That's all right. Yeah, I so I was, oh, yeah. dude, you took my, <laughs> dang. I, I was about to say, I'm the biggest Zach Collins hill dyer person. I guess that's not a Well, wow, this phrase, is going to be but... a great podcast. Yeah. So, so clearly we are all right going into 2021, assuming maybe we only need 40 games out of them saying, hey, uh, unless he has a disastrous spring training or is hurt, <laughs> Zach Collins, you take these 40 games and we're going to work in otherwise, but this is your role. Barring injury, you're going to be the guy who's going to be expected to catch at most a couple times a week, and we're okay with him being able to handle that job or at least show whether he can or not. Yeah, I think, I mean, I mean, Collins was a first round pick and he's to his credit, maybe he hasn't become exactly like first round pick. Uh, you know, he hasn't shown first round pick stuff yet, but he's hit well in the minor leagues. And at the very least, I think he should get a shot as a backup catcher. I mean, Grandal's going to be there for what does he have three more years on his contract? So, I mean, Let's at least see what he what he has. He's never really gotten a full a full year. And Brad, I know we talked about this kind of kind of last time on the on the last podcast, but um I think the guy I mean, I just think, you know, I'm not a huge fan of his swing or really, you know, his game necessarily. I just think he's shown enough to get a shot and I think he deserves a shot. And maybe it's not even fair that he's gonna gonna be you know, in the lineup once every ten days. I mean, it's hard to get in a rhythm that way. Um but I just think, yeah, I I think backup catcher, if there were if there right now, if there were four needs that the Sox still need to need still need to add to this roster, I think it'd go starting pitcher uh, replacement or Alex Colome bringing him back, um, another left-handed bat, and I think fourth, um, I think a distant fourth would be um, backup catcher. So if they want to bring in a, you know, a veteran that's going to come in for a couple million dollars, I think that wouldn't shock anybody. But I think Collins at least deserves um, a shot. Trevor, do you even agree that a veteran should be brought in, or do you really think that Zach, especially with the first-round pedigree, I mean, that stuff, well, honestly, doesn't mean anything. You know, once you're between the lines, it sort of shouldn't mean anything, but it does because this speaks to to, to uh, drafting rep. This speaks to being able to crow about a success, even if you end up trading that guy. Uh, is does Should Zach go in with the keys in his hand saying, yeah, this, this is mine? Should he even be challenged? Yeah, I think that you should give him the keys to the backup catcher role. Um this might be a little crazy, but I, I wouldn't be terribly mad if they gave him some DH at bats against right-handed pitching to start the season. If they're not thinking that Vaughn is ready um, or even want to kind of bring Vaughn along a little bit slowly 
and maybe only, you know, give him some time against righties and all the at-bats against lefties. Um, if they want, they want to play the service time game with Vaughn um, and need some DH help, I just love the fact that he walks so much. He's the definition of your three true outcomes guy and uh, has a lot of loft in his swing. He's going to – if you give him the opportunity to – play every day, which obviously he's not going to get. And I don't think he deserves necessarily, but I think he could be a guy that um, is a 220 hitter, but a 350 on base percentage with uh, 25 home runs at the catcher position. His defense definitely leaves a lot to be desired. Um so I'm not sure about that, but as a backup catcher, you can get away with that a little bit if you have a little thump offensively. And uh, yeah, I think that I am very comfortable with him as the backup catcher. We have Zavala, if need be, as more of a, a defensive catcher. Um, and yeah, fire him up. All right, let's, and of course, everybody, seriously, everybody listening, everybody watching, everybody reading, disabuse yourself of the notion that Andrew Vaughn is going to break camp with this team, short of a Jose Abreu injury, and even then, um, I mean, they're obviously going to service time game this. It's not an urgent need. They're not, going to, they're not going to get him breaking camp, no matter how great he does to play first base once a week. And, you know, Luke, I think we touched on this a little bit, but let me throw this out to you guys. Uh, is there any, I mean, let's just look even a, a year or two in the future. Is there a reasonable path to a major league roster spot? I mean, a reasonable to expect path, given the way things are set up and the way the White Sox have set this team up for Andrew Vaughn on this team. He's their number one pick just two years ago. But it's like, you know, I mean, they didn't paint themselves into a corner. Who knew that it, Jose Abreu was even going to stick with the team? Um, but is there a route to get him reps, let's say even in, in, in 2022? Uh, or is this going to be a situation where we're almost going to have to nurse? And maybe he's a guy, I think, as, as Luke, you might have suggested when we talked a couple, three weeks ago, that he's really your number one trade bait piece. Yeah, I don't – I think, and even for myself, I think coming into this offseason, I'm like, oh, yeah, pencil in Andrew Vaughn to DH. Um, but then you look and realize, and you're like, he – he hasn't had a, an at-bat above high A, and that, you know, he was picked in uh, in 2019, and he played some minor league ball in his draft year. Like, we really haven't seen we, – we would have expected that 2021 would be the year, but he lost a whole minor league season, and he didn't certainly didn't get that back just by the alternate site stuff that he was able to do uh, over the summer. So I think, you know, for one, where they see him, no matter where they see him, like you said, Brett, they're going to play the service time game, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, um, I think best case scenario would be beginning of May. Um, but I could see it being later than that, June, July, because I think they want to get him maybe some at bats in double A and then maybe some at bats in triple A. Um, maybe he's, maybe they see him good enough to, to skip Birmingham, but I think definitely you got to get him at least a hundred at bats, uh, more minor league at bats. And we don't even know what's going to happen with the minor league season. We don't know when that's going to start. I think, I think a decent bet is that that's going to start a little bit later than normal. You know, maybe um, I think the, I think the minor leaguers will report to spring and I, I don't, this isn't confirmed, but I think they'll, they'll report later than the major league players. And I think what'll end up happening is they'll have their spring training kind of afterwards and then maybe start the minor league season around May. Um, so then if you want to get them those hundred plate appearances, maybe you're talking more about June, 
So as that relates to kind of what the rest of the offseason plan is, I don't think you have to worry about blocking Andrew Vaughn. I think you can add a solid, another solid bat and, you know, say, let's just say, for instance, you added Michael Brantley. Then you have Vaughn in the minors who then becomes insurance for Brantley at DH. But then if, say, Abreu got hurt, you could slide Vaughn in there. But then also, if either Eaton or Jimenez went down, you could slide Brantley into that other corner outfield. So now you kind of have Vaughn as insurance for four guys in the lineup, um, which isn't bad. You never know what happens with injuries. But I think this notion that, you know, Vaughn's so ready and we can't sign anybody else because that would block him and force him into more minor league at bats. And it's like, all right, let's just, you know, slow the roll a little bit and let this guy develop because you don't want to bring him up when he's not, you know, he's not ready. I think we saw that with the Giants and Joey Bart. I mean, he was, he almost had a 40% strikeout rate not having it at bat above high A and that was their top pick. And I think, you know, I don't want to say it ruined, it ruins a guy's development, but it kind of, and it could hurt their confidence a little bit. So I think Vaughn, you know, I put them, the percentage of them trading him at like sub 10, I think they really like him. I think it would take like a Blake Snell type deal to move him, which I don't think the Rays will end up doing. But um, yeah, I think just kind of let's be a little more patient than when we are with Vaughn. And I think some of the fans are, are expecting uh, the Sox to handle. Realistically, Trevor, then what, when he's ready, whether that's May 1st or whether that's tw- uh, 2022, where does he go? I mean, Abreu is the first baseman on this team at least for two more years. And we're just assuming that when he's done, what he's going to become, oh, is he going to become a manager? I mean, you know, he may still want to play. He could put up an MVP season. I he shocked the heck out of me in 2020. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, it is sort of his to give uh, or, you know, his to give away that spot to give away at this point. Uh, what's his path to playing on the White Sox, even when he is ready for Andrew Vaughn? Yeah, I think first base is definitely a Braves for this season. Um, I think you look at what happens this season defensively with Abreu, offensively as well. But if he does take a step back defensively um, or starts showing some sort of signs of age, which last year was obviously very impressive and he went the other way. Um, but if he does show any of those signs of age, 2022 is when you can start mixing Vaughn in at first base. I know Abreu likes to play first base, doesn't like to DH. He likes to be on the field, um, if he could, 162 games a year. But at some point, he's going to start slowing down and his age is going to have to catch up with him a little bit. And um, I think that's when you can mix Vaughn in defensively at first base and DH him as well. Um, but it's the, I love the, the Brantley thing for 2021. It's just the issue with a lot of these guys is they're going to take multi-year deals in order to get them for 2021. And it's just kind of clogging up everything for the, the future because we already have so many guys in that mold and that DH mold and the older Brantley gets, that's going to be more of what he falls into. Jimenez is kind of the same way um, where people are wanting him to move to DH as well. Abreu is going to turn into more of a DH as he ages. Um, So it's just so tough to get a guy for that would be a perfect fit for 2021, knowing that it's going to kind of put you behind the eight ball a little bit position wise and where these guys can fit in, in the next few years. Um, so that would be the only holdup that I would have on that. Uh, 
it's, it's really hard because the White Sox, as Brett was mentioning, were in a, a perfect position to zig while everyone else is zagging and spend big this year while others were trying to save money because they are in that win now position. But a lot of the options that their, their needs were either really, uh, really thin, not very deep as far as their options, or just not great, great, perfect fits for what the White Sox actually need. They need, you know, kind of that left-handed bat that can help against right-handed pitching. Um, even Springer is obviously right-handed. Azuna's right-handed. Um, Jock Peterson would have been probably the best fit, but obviously the Sox went a different route with Eaton. It's just so tough because it's, there, there really wasn't that perfect solution at any of these spots. Going back to Brady just for a second, uh, I don't know if I'm more frightened for Rick Hahn or Tony Abreu or Tony Russo to have to break the news that Jose Abreu is no longer a regular first baseman or even regular DH to Abreu or to his mother. Because apparently the only reason he wants to play in 162 games is because his mom freaks out whenever he doesn't see him playing. And I don't know if I want to have that discussion with his mom. I, I don't envy those guys. All right. As we wind up here on our very first debut awesome uh, podcast episode of Dugout Metrics with you guys, we've teased that a little bit, but there's obviously more work to do. What is the most pressing need for the White Sox between now and opening day or, you know, for this, for this, uh, this off season? And okay, who's the guy that should be to fill that pressing need? I think, I still think it's, it's that fifth starter. I mean, right now, I think, it's safe to say that Kopech's not going to be uh, starting the season in Chicago. So right now, Ronaldo Lopez is penciled in uh, to the fifth star spot. And um, I would rather have him in the bullpen kind of as a, you know, see how he develops there, but you know, maybe as like a swingman type of pitcher um, to start the season. So I definitely think depending on where you divvy up the money, and I think there's some veteran, there's a couple of veteran starting pitchers, like 35 year old plus guys that could be wanting to go to a, a, team ready to win that could be had for pretty cheap um you know there's the Klubers uh I mean hey we're doing reunions uh Jeff Samarge is out there um who else I know Chris Archer's coming off uh he's trying to rebuild his value um there's some other guys but um I would say starting pitcher but um the Liam the Liam Hendricks connection is interesting I mean you know Sarah Snowden he's projected for next year to be the best reliever in baseball um which is very interesting um one way to help a, a weakness is to just build on your strength. I think that's an interesting way to look at it. And um, you got to replace column A one way or another. And then um, as a left-handed bat, I think as a DH, I think we've talked about Brantley. Um, I think, you know, I saw somebody throw out Sinsu Chu if they just wanted somebody. Um, maybe. I don't know how much he has left. I think he's got to be like 39, 40 years old by now. Um He's 38, but yeah, I'm with you. 38, yeah. <laughs> I was just, just looking at that today before. Yeah. And I was like, um, Shin Su Chu, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't think they're bringing back Encarnacion. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but maybe, maybe that guy's Collins, like Trevor said. Like, I would not be opposed to having Collins getting some at bats there, but I think they'll probably they'll add another bat, but. Um, again, this all, you know, this all just depends on what the max budget is, what the max payroll is. Um, but I think, you know, the last thing I'll say is I think the Sox have made their two quote unquote safe moves that they view. 
And I think now we'll see them kind of sit back, um, let the market kind of play out, not commit to anything. And, you know, if a Brantley or an Azuna or does Bowers market, you know, tank with not a lot of suitors willing to spend, just kind of see how things play out and then kind of attack there. Maybe they view Hendricks as someone that's going to be valued, but, um, and go out and get him, but just kind of, um, lay in the weeds a little bit and see, see just kind of how, how things play out and see how intent teams are, are to really not spend this off season. Okay. Trevor, what's your wish list and, and let's arrange it by urgency. Um, like I said, a lot of these guys just, it's tough because they're not perfect fits for the White Sox and, uh, exactly what they need. Hendricks is going to be risky because it's always risky to give a reliever a multi-year deal. You ne- they're so volatile. You'd never really know what you're going to get, even though, like Luke said, he's projected to be the top of the line reliever. He He's coming from a, a huge ballpark to a, more of a hitter's park. You never know how that's going to play out. Um, so, honestly, the best way to improve your fifth starter is to make your fourth starter your fifth starter. So I'm I'm all in. I'll go Bauer. That's uh, If they can get Bauer – I would love that. And I am blocked by him on Twitter. So I know he's not the, the, the <laughs> best guy off the field, but man, if they could, if they could swing that and go all in on that, they, that makes this whole off season worth it. The Eaton stuff. Um, yeah. That, that would be my number one wish is to get another top tier arm and just go into 2021 with just an absolute all in with chaos. Staff. Yeah, yeah. You'd have the best, you probably have the best rotation in baseball, but like, you know, Larusa, Eaton, um, yeah, just bring in Bauer. I mean, who else can we get? Puig. Um, let's just there you go, Bauer and Puig. That's your last. I was just gonna say it's yeah. confirmed. We do not have to yeah. speculate anymore about why Ricky Renneri is gone. It is that he was too soft in the clubhouse. If they bring yeah. Bauer in, I thought what they've already done. Holy cat! So we yeah. know for sure yeah. you won't have to confirm it. It's just everybody. There, there was too much. Uh, orange slices and cookies after the game uh, <laughs> once you bring Trevor Bauer in and all his stuff. Blocking even our beloved Trevor Lines. Come on. Yeah. Like, and you yeah. still it's, want him. It's Yeah, it's it's old. It's old grudge now. It was like 2016, I think. <laughs> he came up. He, he came up one of my were you posing as a, Well, you were posing as a teenage girl? Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, he came at one of my teammates on Twitter because my my teammate's a big Cubs fan and was giving him crap about the the drone situation in the World Series, and so then you know I stuck up for my teammate, got blocked. <laughs> that guy really That's admirable, it. Trevor. He lives. Yeah, to and then fights. I had all the ba- I had all the Bauer stands on social media oh, just coming at me in my mentions for hours. He's got his his whole crew of minions that'll just come at you. So that was awesome. It speaks to how much of a non-entity social media presence I am that I've continually dissed the guy and no one's really, I guess there's been a tiny bit of barking. Well, hey, Steve Stone blocked me based on the fact that I criticized him for completely giving Trevor Bauer a pass on, you know, like how innovative he is. Only talking about the great stuff. Oh man, he's revolutionary. It's like, boy, I wonder if Bob Gibson was called revolutionary back in, you know, 1967 or whatever. But anyway. Whole different topic. Yeah, we can't have we cannot have Reynaldo Lopez though as our fifth starter. Man, I am (laughs) I'm done with him. I don't see him on the field at all. You're willing to go Trevor Bauer if it present prevents Reynaldo Lopez from taking another start for the White Sox. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. No matter how much you dislike Trevor Bauer or anybody dislikes Trevor Bauer, 
you can see the logic behind something like even I can see the logic in something like Brett. Brett, the last thing I'll say here is um, with the whole Eaton thing is they never gave my guy Robbie Grossman a chance. And when he signs somewhere else for like one year and nine million dollars, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to be um, kind of disappointed. He um, talk about a guy that doesn't strike out, a guy that plays good defense and can hit lefty. I mean, I hope they at least checked in, but. He seemed like a perfect guy and he's probably going to maybe play for like the twins or something or Cleveland. And, and uh, yeah, that was my guy. I'm going to guess additionally, uh, Luke, that uh, Robbie Grossman also never lauded a 13 year old as a key team leader. So that's probably just another feather in his cap. (laughs) He wasn't controversial enough. Oh, goodness gracious. We need Drake LaRoche back, back in that clubhouse. (laughs) That's the last, that is the last key. He's going to be the uh, Drake LaRose is the the, last piece. He's the bench coach or something. We are going to have a lot to write about and talk about if any any one of these things we just discussed happen, (laughs) because it's already going to be juicy enough. I mean, we've already got stuff going back and forth between that Keuchel and Tim Anderson, for God's sake, the two guys we thought we could really rely on. (laughs) So uh, it's no matter what, it's going to be a very uh, interesting, hopefully successful year, but man, I don't know. Uh, there's a couple of ticking time bombs already, and who knows? I mean, the offseason's not even over. So, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, astute that, Luke, you're saying that, you know, now it's time to sit back and see if the market falls for the White Sox, and I, and, I, and I do not think that's a bad strategy whatsoever. And you're right. They've done their safe move, so perhaps it is. Maybe it is time to take a gamble. And, you know, if it's a, it's a Nomar Mazzara-ish thing where it's like, hey, throw it against the wall. If it doesn't even work, the guy doesn't even maybe play for us somehow this year. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily a Puig type move, but you know, something where it's just like a little kooky, but man, if it works, it works. Um, mm. I think they put themselves in a position where maybe they could flourish uh, in taking a gamble like that, even with Jerry Reinsdorf's, uh, you know, money. But mm-hmm. Well, uh, in a very rousing finish, we are winding up the first podcast of the dugout metrics uh, crew. Uh, that is, Luke Smales and Trevor Lyons. Thank you guys for taking time out and joining and running down all this stuff with me. And we don't know yet how, you know, what the, what the pattern of this uh, podcast is going to be, et cetera, but hopefully whether it's weekly or maybe a couple times a month, uh, we'll try and hop on uh, with uh, all your listeners and readers and, you know, get you up to speed with, you know, maybe some, uh, maybe some of the metric side of things, some of the between the line stuff, uh, including even some of the clubhouse stuff that, you know, maybe uh, a lot of us, an average fan like myself, isn't really privy to. So thanks guys uh, for, for joining me and thanks everybody out there for reading and listening. And uh, we'll be back with you uh, real soon. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Brett.